and welcome back to another episode of the Prime Podcast, where we do as much digging as we can to help you find your prime. So today I'm going to start off with a little different. I'm going to take a look at our ratings and reviews. Got a lot of five stars, could use some more, but you guys are awesome. So awesome. So when you're checking these out on Instagram or not Instagram, iTunes or Spotify, we would love some more ratings and reviews. I'm just going to read one right here from Tina. Tina's a good friend of mine from Brooklyn, but I'm a new listener but have really been enjoying all the content. Anthony is so knowledgeable and I love the interactions that the hosts have. Each one bringing something different to the table. Thank you for sharing. And we really love that we get some feedback to what we're doing, what we're saying that helps us create more content, that helps us give more information to you, bring more guests on, so on and so forth. And speaking of guests, we have today Dan Chambliss, who is a former, like two days ago, well, three, four days ago now, whenever I'm recording this, retired college professor, published many great articles and books and things of that nature. The one that we're talking about is called The Mundanity of Excellence and how he dove deep into the swimming culture and community to figure out really what separates the good from the great. And we dive deep into some different topics and some things that might be obvious, but also might be the not so obvious reasons and how you can live your best life and be successful and be excellent at whatever you choose to do. So without further ado, here is the next episode of the Prime Podcast. Hashtag find your prime. Hope you enjoy. Yeah. Ready? <laughs> hey! Let's go! Bet! I'm at my, I'm at my, I'm at my prime. Welcome back to the Prime Podcast. Today we have a special guest, Dan Chambliss. Is that how you say it? Chambliss? Chambliss. Perfect. And he's recently retired as the the Eugene uh, M. Tobin Distinguished Professor of Sociology at Hamilton College, which is local to us in upstate New York, um, where he taught for 40 years. He received a master's and PhD from Yale. He is the author of four books, numerous other articles on organizational performance, including his book, Champions, The Making of Olympic Swimmers, which was awarded the U.S. Olympic Committee's Book of the Year Prize and his widely cited article, The Mundanity of Excellence, which is how I found Dan, which also focuses on Olympic level athletes. In addition to researching and writing about organizational psychology, higher education and social science research methods, Professor Chambliss has been a consultant for Fortune 50 corporations in the US and the UK. So Dan, thank you for joining us and happy to have you. My pleasure. Glad to be here, Anthony. Yeah, this should be fun. A very exciting thing. So I was reading uh, (laughs) Seth Godin's book. Are you familiar with Seth? Mm-hmm. So no, no, I'm afraid I'm not. Not, not personally. Re- I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah. But yeah. but Seth yeah. has referenced um, Dan's article that we're talking about the the mundanity of excellence in his book called The Practice, and the book is about um, referencing how we can ship and do more creative things and not being limited by certain things and just being able to do the work and have habits and routines around those sorts of things. So as this kind of happened, so to speak, is that you know I. 
I look up Dan, I look up the actual article because it was just a snippet of the article and different things. And I'm like, Oh, he's from Hamilton college. And we're in, which is Clinton, New York. And I'm in Utica, New York, which is about 20 minute drive away. And I was like, get out of here. He's local. So I emailed Dan and I'm like, Hey, well, I first, I emailed a couple, we have a couple of Hamilton college, other employees that have come to our gym. Uh, yeah. So we have like Sarah Jillings. She works the like the rock climbing wall area. Oh, yeah, and sure. The Dean sure. of diversity, of Maria Anoa Ohms. Uh, so there's a couple of people who, who are in the university. So I reach out to a couple of them. I'm like, Hey, do you guys know Dan personally? So I could kind of get in with them. And they were like, no, I don't really know him that well. So, so what I did is I just emailed Dan and Dan was like, yeah, I'd happy to come on and, and chat about the article and different things there. So I'm really excited. So we were just chatting a little bit off air and we're just going to bring that conversation back. And what we were talking about was kind of what sparked the idea for the article and in turn the book and different things and the research behind it. So let's go there. Let's where, where do yeah. we start? How do we get into swimming? How do we get into all this look into swimming? Well, into swimming, um, you know, when I was, uh, when I was a kid, I was a terrible athlete and, uh, <laughs> as a child and, uh, well, this is true. I was small for my age and I was uncoordinated and I, I didn't have a, I didn't have parents who were into sports at all and so on. But for school, at one point I was required, you know, to, go out for a sport is what they said. And I picked swimming because, because I thought it was a place where I was least likely to get hurt. <laughs> and so it uh, turns out that wasn't totally true, but anyway, um, <laughs> but I got into swimming and kind of make a long story short. And I was lousy. I mean, I was bad at that. And this is, this is, we're talking seventh, eighth grade, seventh, eighth, ninth grade. And I was uh, really bad at it. But what happened was at some point I got, uh, I got motivated for just a few weeks, really, to work hard and do what the coach said. And I happened to have a good coach uh, at that point. And all of a sudden, I got good at it, you know, right. like not great, but I was, I was, uh, you know, I was uh, in the, you know, in the top five in the state or something like that. Well, that's, Tennessee, I would say it's pretty good. <laughs> and yeah. Well, yeah. But see, you see, I worked like a maniac, you understand? Right. And, um, and I didn't get nearly as far as I should have. And that, that was kind of a mystery to me. I wanted to know why, you know, why I wasn't better, really what, what went, you know, carried forward. And then, um, uh, so what happened then is I, I did you down, swim in college you know, down, down the line. No, gosh, no, 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 no. Says, yeah. no, no, I was too small. I'm only five, seven. And, um, and I, and I was already swimming against these guys who were six, three, you know, when I was in high school and I could do okay, but I could, I could look ahead and see that college swimming was not gonna, was not gonna, I wasn't going to go anywhere. You know, I wasn't going to make nationals or anything like that. So, right. so I didn't do it in college. But, but um, when I came to Hamilton in 1981, the college ran as a sort of sideline, ran a, a little club team, you know, a little uh, age group team. And it was very, very small at that point. I mean, we're talking like 10 people. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I happened to be chatting with the swim coach one day and he said, oh, well, you should run this thing. And I'm like, that'd be great. I've always wanted to coach. And I started working at it and uh, I was a terrible coach. I was, I was really not good at all. I knew a lot about swimming because I had been into the sport and I cared about it and I read all the books and stuff, but I was not good at coaching. So here I was in love with a sport where I was a lousy athlete and a lousy coach. 
well, that's not very productive. But this was the early 1980s. Okay, we're going back a ways here. Early 1980s. And in 1984, the Olympics were going to be held in Los Angeles. Right, yeah. And uh, I was a college professor, you know, and you're supposed to write books and articles. And I thought maybe I could write something about the Olympics. And so went out to California and through some various shenanigans, I got in with a team that was basically the best team in the United States at that point, the Mission Vieja Natadors. And I started living with a group of their coaches and working with the team, you know, just watching really in my role as a social psychologist. Okay. It wasn't as a coach. I mean, they had no inkling I had any interest in coaching. But I was just out there kind of learning. You just you just kind of immersed yourself in their culture. I immersed myself in the culture, exactly. And I lived with the coaches and I traveled with the team all, you know, to the all different, you know, national championships and international meets and, and the, uh, the Olympic trials, the Olympic games, all of that stuff. And I had press credentials and so on. Anyway, I just lived with these folks. And along the way, I tried to figure out why these people were so dang good, right? How did they get, <laughs> how did yeah. they get to be that good? Because again, I had worked really hard at this sport and gone, you know, basically nowhere. And I wanted to know how coaches, what coaches did, you know, and what made a good coach. So that was, that was the basic story. And I think three, four five years worth, I figured it out pretty well. And I became a much better coach. And actually, I got in the water swimming at some point back in there. And I, I equal times I done in high school and without training very much because I knew better how to do it. So I wrote this article you mentioned, The Mundanity of Excellence, that was about how there are all these doable things you can do in order to be good at something. And it's not like magic. It looks like magic from the outside. Okay, that was one of the big takeaways for me is that you see somebody perform at a world-class level and you think like, oh my gosh, that, that guy's so talented or they're gifted or, you know, they just have some, some special essence or something. And it turns out, well, not really. What they have is they put in a lot of work, but they put in work in the right direction. They're doing specific things that make them better. Lots and lots of specific little tasks, each one of help each one of which gets you, you know, a little bit better and you add them up over 10 years and pretty soon you're good. Yeah. So that was kind of the message. Yeah. And I, I thought that was really an interesting t point was that there are these little tasks. And I think you talked about it in terms of sometimes you do them on purpose and sometimes they happen accidentally. Right. 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 Yeah. Doesn't matter as long as you do them. Right. It doesn't matter as long as you do them. And it, like, I think that's really, you know, we talked about, you know, things you see social media now is, is huge and all these different things where you see people's highlight reel when they post to social media and you see their, their magic, so to speak, but you don't see all the things that happen behind the scenes that went into it. Exactly. And exactly. Those, I think that there was, was there, there's three or four, I have it written. I think there was like, there's a couple of different topics there that kind of, were the culminating kind of thing that was the mm. Mm -hmm. idea behind the article. And then I guess, obviously everything that, that you went into it. So what are some of the things that you observed the most that these folks that were, you know, at this highest level did differently? Well, well, I, I, I give you one, uh, one example that applies to a lot of stuff is 
I thought going into this that these people were uh, going through all sorts of, you know, horrible, uh, terrible, you know, work things and suffering a lot and putting up with all kinds of stuff in order to be great at their sport. And it turns out that mostly that's incorrect, that, that I found that most of the people, not everybody, but most of the people I knew who were becoming great at, at this, they enjoy mm -hmm. the work. It's a big plus. They like doing it. And that separates them from a lot of other people who think, oh, I have to put up with this stuff in order to be good. Y you know, you really, it really helps a lot to enjoy it day to day, not just, well, four years from now, maybe I can win a gold medal. No, these people like training a lot. You know, they like working out and getting physically fit and so on. Different kind of example in my own line of work, you know, writing and doing research and stuff. The people who enjoy it have a big advantage. For sure. I mean, the the takeaway is just try do something you're going to like doing. Yeah. You know, you're going to put a lot more into it. You're going to think about it more. Uh, you're not going to tear yourself up to do it. So that was one kind of thing is that they really enjoyed the workout would be part of it. Another one, a big factor that we've already sort of mentioned is doing things correctly matters a lot. Yeah. You know, you talk about, well, I want to be a great basketball player. I'll do a hundred free throws after practice every day. Well, that's fine. So long as they're good free throws, like you've got to think about your technique every shot and do it carefully and do it correctly. You know, as, as people say, practice doesn't make perfect. It makes permanent. Yeah. And perfect practice makes perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Exactly. And then the, the, uh, now, so it's the quality of the training, yes. not just the quantity. That now, was one of the and It's kind of funny that, that this conversation came up with a member this morning and we were talking about the 10,000 hour rule. That's kind of become really popular yeah, yeah. and how it's yeah. kind of like, you know, just doing 10,000 hours of work no, doesn't make you inherently right. better. Yeah, that is correct. And, you know, Gladwell, did this 10,000 hour thing. And what he uh, was writing about was research done by a guy named Anders Ericsson, who, who framed it as 10 years, you know? Right. Uh, but, but the important part is not so much the 10 years or 10,000 hours, you know, four hours a day, it's doing it correctly. It's 10,000 hours of what uh, Ericsson called deliberate practice. Yeah. The deliberate practices. That's the part that pushes you just outside of your comfort zone. So you can get a little bit better each time. That's right. It's paying attention during those 10,000 hours. That's the key, not the volume of work. I mean, there are a lot of people who do 10,000 hours and don't, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't know. There are people my age who play, who've played golf that long and they're still terrible. You know? Yeah. I used to joke with some of the coaches that I used to work with when I was in New York city, I worked with a couple of coaches who were coaching from, you know, the time that you were at Hamilton college, like the early eighties and they had been coaching yeah. for 30 years, but they were still the same coach they were in 1983. Um, and they didn't evolve or grow their coaching staff. So they kind of just coached right. one year on repeat. Yes. They might've had 10,000 yes, hours. That's a good, that's a great way to think of it. Yeah. But they didn't really grow or evolve. So that 10,000 hours, like, yeah, you can be like, I coach, but coaching forever. I've done all this. Yes, you have. But at the same time, like you're, you're still the same coach you were in 1983. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, it was right. and a that's understandable because it's hard to make those changes. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not always pleasant changing your habits about, but things. that's where the coach comes well, in. That's, that's a big plus having a good coach. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
And, and, and what did you, cause you went there, to, you went there to both as a kind of like researcher, but also kind of to see Correct. like, how can I be a better coach? Which also by definition does not make you a lousy coach. It makes you a great coach because you went outside of your comfort yeah. zone to go learn something. Yeah. Uh, I did something similar. I, I started, I was, a fo- yeah. I played football in, in college and then I found myself coaching yeah. girls track and field in New York city, yeah. which is a very, very competitive yeah. um, New York city track and field. So I had reached out to, I was like looking all over and I did something similar like I did to you, uh, Vince Anderson, who's the yeah. sprint coach at Texas A&M. He's still there. He coached many Olympians, many sprinters. I yeah, emailed yeah. him, cold, cold emailed him. And was like, Hey, I just started coaching track and field and you're the guy <laughs> who everyone keeps referencing. Yeah. How yeah. do I do this? And he was outstanding. And he reached out to me it's and gave me generous. feedback, gave me like yeah. the whole blueprint for a year. And, yeah. de- and, and he was very oh, nice. Yeah. We met at Penn Relays. We, you know, it was just a great, yeah. It was a great experience and being able to do that and go out of your way to, you know, I'm not, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Let me go find somebody who's doing like you, you found the person who's doing the best thing. You find the people, right. And you go and you watch them. It's good if you can do that with several different people who are working at that level, because one of the things I noticed is there, there seem to be very different ways of doing it. You know, there are coaches who are great for different reasons. You know, some might be technicians, some are motivators, some are great at getting the conditions set up right for the athletes. Some are great at bringing a team together. And then the athletes basically teach each other. You know, there mm-hmm. are all kinds of ways even to be a great coach. And the more you can sure. expose yourself to top level people, the more you can sort of figure out what's going to work for you. Are you familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk? I'm sorry, no. Gary. Yeah. He's, he's like one of the big kind of like social media guys, but he talks about now, like getting as close to the sun as possible. Yeah. Like he talks about like, you know, if you're trying to learn from somebody, try to get as close to the sun as you can to try to learn as much as you can. So same idea. Like if you find these people who are doing great in your field that you want to do, absolutely, you follow them and do whatever, go be an intern. We talked, we talked recently about being interns yep. for strength and conditioning coaches. Uh, if you yep. want to learn stuff, you got to immerse yourself like you did, immerse yourself yeah. into their culture, learn about everything that they do. And you're more likely to pick up better than that. Then, you know, reading a book is great and doing that stuff is That's also, right. you know, outstanding, but there's nothing that can compare. To That's right. No, the comparison I, I give is, is if you're trying to learn a foreign language, you know, if you want to learn to speak French, you can work from books. Okay. But it's better to go live in France. <laughs> For sure. Just, yeah, I, I did. I, I did some student teaching in, in Cyprus, one oh, of those yeah. little, little islands yeah, over there. Sure. And uh, I studied abroad there. I was teaching in a school, uh, English speaking private school. But I, by the time I was there, you know, three, four months, I yeah. knew all this Greek I was that I never knew before. Yeah. I've, I've never used it again. But I, being in there for three months, you have to learn stuff. You have to learn how to communicate. Exactly. You have to learn how to do things. So you do it by necessity. Exactly. And that's and that's great because that's in itself a motivator, right? You don't have to think of self-discipline and putting yourself on a schedule and all that anymore. In effect, the people around you do that for you, right? Yeah. So if you... I, and, that, yeah. and that's one of the other cate- categories or characteristics, right? Yeah. Is what? Yeah. Is being... Well, having those people, like the right people, having yeah, the right absolutely. people in your corner. If you want to be a great yeah. athlete, you got to join a great team. Yeah, That's the way I put it. And, and even in an individual sport, you need to sur- be surrounded by other people who are working at the level you want to go to. Right. And now, and then you'll, then you'll do it just out of conformity. Yeah. Like the Chicago bulls. <laughs> right. Like, right, like being around Jordan made everybody better. Yeah, right? that, exactly. He was one of those guys who just demanded excellence. And, and you saw yeah. a little bit that those guys, you know, either they, 
got better or they weren't on the team anymore. Right. Right. That's just the deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and how, and I, and, and for, I guess for, for athletes in different positions and if you're, this is where I, I, I try to communicate in different things. So I work with a lot of high school, college and, and a few yeah. professional athletes, like how to yeah. get, you know, like the, the people in the right positions, you know, the right groups, mm -hmm. the right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. environment, you know, like, yeah. and enjoying that, enjoying the process, because I, I feel yeah. like I find a lot of kids a challenge. Are, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're doing something because maybe their parents want them to do it. So right. there's not that sure. necessarily that internal buy-in. And sure. then, you know, if it's not fun for them, then we, like we just talked about there, like it's kind of hmm. yeah a, a challenge to get them to be motivated and do that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. So, sure. well, and that's okay. Uh, is there anything that you, yeah, so, yeah go ahead. Well, I was going to say, uh, you know, not everybody's into everything. Right. And, and the way I think sure. of it is uh, as a coach once told me, there's nothing morally wrong with not wanting to be a swimmer, for instance, you know, you, yeah. you can be a perfectly fine person and do other things. Yeah. So you don't want to, as a coach, for instance, you don't want to start believing every kid has to be into my sport. That's, mm. that's just not, not good. But the other thing I think about that is, is if you're coaching and you got a bunch of people, People are motivated by all sorts of different things, you know, and some want to be good at a sport. I mean, I used to like, again, to take swimming, I, I used to find kids sometimes who wanted to work hard. Like that was what they were, were really there for, you know, to prove to themselves they could do that. Uh, others wanted to go fast. They just like the, the yeah. idea of speed and they like the sensation speed. Others were trying to please their parents. Others were trying to please me. Others just wanted to hang out and chat with their friends. I mean, there are all kinds of different things going on in there. And as a coach, the real art is figuring out what motivates different people and how to feed them, you know, and how to keep them wanting to show up and do things. And, and then you can see there are other benefits they may get. But, uh, but you've got to respect individual people's motivations, which can be quite different. Yeah. And I think that's where, where you, I mean, you're, what your psychology, right? Yeah. Social psychology. Yeah, different social things. So, psych, that, that, yeah. That, so that's, that's right in your wheelhouse. Yeah. I mean, officially I'm yeah. a sociologist, but I study what's called the social psychology of organizations. Yeah. So how do people work together in organizational settings? And trying Which to, is just trying team to building. figure out. Yeah. Well, right, right. That would be the example. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, as a coach, that's a great position to oh, yeah. test theories and be in there to do things and see how different people interact. That's exactly why I went into it in the first place is coming out of high school, going to college. I wanted to be a swimming coach. I mean, that was one of my mm -hmm. career aspirations. And I figured the most important thing there is group dynamics. You know, you've got to learn. I mean, I, I knew enough about the sport. It's individual sport, you know, but it really is. It takes place in team settings and you've got to know how to manage a team in order to be a good coach. And that was why that was how I got into social psychology. Yeah. And I, and I always say, like, if you're a good teacher, like you can teach any subject. Yeah. You know, like the content yeah. knowledge is no, the content right. knowledge. Like everyone, everyone can learn the content. Like whether right. it's math, science, swimming, whatever that might be, the content is usually the easy part. Yeah. The, the, what they call, there's a guy, Brett Bartholomew, who they, he has a book called the art of coaching. And it's uh -huh. more about like the social psychology of things. Yeah. And 
it's more about, you know, how do we interact with the humans in front of us versus just giving them a workout versus just yeah. doing this sort oh, of yeah. thing. They call, oh, yeah. it the, they call it the quote unquote soft side of coaching. Yeah. 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 Um, well, right. As you, as you said, you know, anybody can read the books. I mean, the information yeah. is out there on how you do the training and, you know, the physiology involved and things like that. But getting people to do it, that's the tricky part. <laughs> And, and, and what are, do you have any tricks or things that you would do? Cause I, you know, it's I never thought about mm. uh, the idea. Like I, I wrote down a couple of things like, yes, yeah, socializing, right. That's a big thing. Like getting better, right. Mm -hmm. People do want to get better. They want to socialize. They want to please mm -hmm. some, you know, please parents or, yeah. or coach. But then you, yeah. then you said people just want to prove to themselves that they can work hard. I've never really thought of that one. Oh yeah. Um, oh gosh. Yeah, that was this is actually it's actually kind of a problem in American sports, yeah. particularly. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but some years back, somebody did a study and found that U.S. based marathon runners had higher injury rates than Europeans because so many of the Americans were just into working hard. Like they thought the point of the sport was to, you know, do the hardest workouts. And they forgot that if you get injured, <laughs> you have to stop. You have to stop, <laughs> right? Well, no, this is a real issue. Yeah. You know, you start re realizing you've got people who who will, for instance, play through an injury. And like, that's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for performance in the sport, that's not a good idea. For sure. You know, and yet there are people who do it because they think it it's virtuous or they think I'm courageous or something like that. Like, no, you're a moron, right? You need to take care of yourself. Then you can play the sport better. Right. Right. So that's a, an example where a motivation can, can steer you off in the wrong direction from what we think is good motivation, namely, you know, their willingness to work hard. I mean, hard work's fine, but it's not the point. Right. And I, yeah. I, yeah, you see this with, with jobs and careers and different things that people do because yes, they owe people absolutely. overwork and they, they, they promote or virtue yeah. signal with like, Hey, I only got four hours of sleep yeah. in this, but I never looked at it in terms of like the athletic part, which makes perfect sense. Now that I'm thinking about it a little yeah. bit more that people just want to yeah. be like, Oh, I can fight through this. I'm a, t I'm hard worker. I don't need to stop. I don't need to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that may not be a good idea. And so a coach may be there to say, listen, you know, and you're going to have to pull back a little here because you're going to hurt yourself or, you know, or it's, you're not, you're not playing as well because X, Y, Z, you know, and it's good to have somebody who can be a little bit more objective about it. For sure. Um, yeah. So we got a couple of them enjoying the process, doing the things correctly. So, so paying attention during those 10,000 hours, if you, if you live through that 10,000 hour concept, uh, surrounding yourself with other people who have similar aspirations or goals or that are good? Sure, sure. I would say another thing. You know, you mentioned the 10,000 hour thing. That may not be helpful. Yeah, the 10,000, I, I just, because just because we referenced it, is this? Well, no, no, yeah. no, no. It's, it's a great, it's a great thing to make sense of how people become good. Right. If you're looking at the end of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But if you tell a little kid, all you got to do is work for 10,000, <laughs> they're going to freak out and leave. Yeah. You know? It's too big a goal. They, they've got to have enjoyable stuff going on. I would almost say every day. Mm. There have to be short-term payoffs. Uh, again, it used to bother me that, um, I mean, it still does, watching the Olympics and saying, oh, this person worked for four years for this. You know, like, 
that's not exactly right. I mean, they sort of do, you know, at that le- yeah. at the top level, but but they're getting they're getting payoffs every day. Yeah. You know, there's something enjoyable. There's a lot of short-term goals involved and a lot of again, day-to-day enjoyment of the sport and of being there and of working on things and getting a little bit better at something. You know, so if you're coaching, you especially kids, especially young, you know, young people, you've got to make it enjoyable on a, I would almost say everyday basis. Yeah. Certainly on a weekly basis. If if they're not enjoying something about it on a rate, they're not going to keep coming back and they'll they'll never get to ten thousand hours. No, that's for sure. And that's why, you know, some of that stuff is funny too, because you you know, when they do reference that, oh, they worked so hard for four, you know, four years. Yeah, yeah. yes, they did. You know, it's like all they 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 didn't live, breathe, and eat for four years just to get do this sort of thing. Like this is kind of what your article and these ideas come to bring to light is that they didn't make as many social sacrifices as we, we put them on the pedestal that they did, or they didn't make, they they weren't training eight hours a day. They weren't doing sort of all these different things every day because realistically we wouldn't be able to handle that and it wouldn't be enjoyable. Well, you have, you have physical limits, you have physical limits and, and the, um, you know, the 10,000 hour thing, accounts for, I think it's, uh, it breaks down to about four hours a day for 10 years, because more than that, uh, 10 years for four hours a day for yeah. 10 years, four days, uh, five days a week. Yeah. Because you can't pay attention much longer than that. You know, you can, you can keep moving, I guess, physically and all, and people do, but, but really four hours of concerted, deliberate conscientious work you know, every weekday for 10 years. I mean, it's, it's your job is the way to think of it. This is a life. This is a way of living. And the people who are really good, they are, you know, like somebody, you know, Roger Federer is a tennis player. And it doesn't mean he just plays tennis. He lives tennis. That's who he is. Wouldn't know what to do, you know, if he couldn't play. But what's is interesting yeah. is that I'm going to go on a little tangent here because it, you said four hours of effort per yeah. day, five days a week, which is a work week, essentially. Of, of concerted, yeah, conscientious effort. I mean, you can spend a, some more hours, you know, doing junk. For sure. And I think. But the serious that, stuff, four and hours. It's kind of funny day. because like when we look at schools, when we look at jobs that are like traditionally nine to five jobs and different things like that. And we're, we're stuck in these kind of like cycles of where we have to work eight hours a day, but people probably don't get eight hours of work in a day. It's not even possible. No, no, that's right. Not quality work. No. Yeah. Not quality work. And what you're saying is you might get an no. hour of work and then an hour of dilly dallying and an hour of work and an hour, of, <laughs> an hour lunch and then an hour of work. And then, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what, yeah. what COVID brought about is that, you know, one of my, my sister-in-law, they were, uh, they were fully remote at her job and they were finding that people who were working from home were much more productive in her particular field. And they were productive and doing more in less time than they were yeah. doing in the office. Yeah, it's certainly th- possible. And I think that this this idea that this work, we can work from home and we can do different things, and if we don't have these office quote unquote distractions, then we might be able to be more productive and use right, our use right. our time better. Well, among other things, you know, you're not commuting, and right. commuting has long been known as a very really a destructive period of time it's it's not good for people to commute 
it's I'm saying in can, general. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Well, I'm no expert on this, but there have been good studies. Well, yeah, I've just I've never. The longer uh, yeah. your commute, the more the, the less happy you are. For instance, you know, if you've got a two-hour commute in each direction, which people do if you live in Atlanta or Silicon Valley or something, uh, yeah, long commutes are not good for people. They're bad physically, among other things. Just sitting you know, in a car yeah. like that for a long time or the strain of doing it. If you're driving yourself or the waste, the wasted time. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not really good. So, but zoom, um, you know, and COVID and all, uh, I think it's, it's, it varies tremendously as to whether or not it's good for people work working at a yeah, distance. 100%. Like some people can work from home and do fine with it and others not at all. So I think it's probably hard to generalize. Yeah, and I think it goes back to that idea of what we talked about, the different reasons that motivate people. Yeah. You know, some people yeah. might might be motivated by getting better at something or socializing. If I'm going to work to socialize, that's right. and that's my motivation, that's being right. at home and being is total, non-social total is the drag. opposite. Total drag, right. right. Be terrible. Whereas there are other people who uh, don't need that as much or, uh, you know, what with childcare situations and things like that, maybe, you know, they need to be at home more or who knows, who knows? I think again, it's, it varies a lot depending on the person. Awesome. Yeah. So if you, if you were to start over yeah. as a coach, oh, as a coach and you, and you okay. were just going to go yeah. as yeah, a coach, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not as a, not, cause you've done some things here. You've done, done some things in your, things. in your field. Yeah. Right. Sure. It, yeah. But if we're talking about like coaching athletes yes, yes. and we're getting into like coaching fitness or performance or whatever that might look sure. like, what would you tell a young coach? Like with all the information that you know now and have experienced and different things, like what things would you attribute to having them have the most success? Wow. Well, that's a, no, it's a great, it's a great question. It's a great question. And I've, I've thought about this, um, this sort of thing quite a bit. Uh, I would say, you know, I'll give you, I'll try to give you some non-obvious ideas. How's that? Perfect. Perfect. Say first off is uh, relax. You don't have to do everything. You know, you're not ultimately responsible for the athlete's career. Uh, but what you need to do is try to add something. Try to teach them something. Okay. So look at you, you watch the athlete perform, especially in competitions and you see what, what's missing, you know, and maybe what's missing is they didn't get a good night's sleep. Right. Or maybe what's missing is, you know, I, I don't know the examples from track or that sort of thing, but in swimming, you know, it's it, an easy example is people doing their turns a little funny, mm -hmm. you know, not having the right kind of turn or not warming up properly would be an easy one, right? A lot, of, a lot of younger athletes don't understand the importance of warming up. And every time you teach them one thing like that, they're going to get better. And those right? are those little skills just, that we talked about. Exactly, exactly. I think coaches put a lot of pressure on themselves. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you a story, actually. Um, Perfect. There's a, a great athlete in the 84 Olympics uh, named Tracy Calkins, who's arguably, you know, she might be the best swimmer of all time, best competitive swimmer. 
and I know she didn't get the publicity and, you know, Michael Phelps was great and all that, but Tracy Calkins held, Calkins held American records in all four individual strokes oh, wow. at one point, as well as the individual medley, you know, where you combine them. And uh, she was an extraordinary swimmer and her coach, um, her coach during the 84 Olympics, I was talking to once and I said, what do you do when you get somebody that good on your team? You know, like she shows up and, you know, is going to swim for you. What's the most important thing in coaching, you know, a world-class athlete. And uh, I'm not going to quote him exactly. Cause I don't know if your podcast could take it, but he <laughs> said, he basically said in this real thick Southern accent, um, don't mess them up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he just came right out with it immediately. Like that's the most important things. Don't mess them up. So it may be that your role as a coach is not to get in the way. Yeah. I mean, think you mentioned the Chicago bulls, you know, what did Phil Jackson do exactly? <laughs> From the outside, it looks Michael like a whole Jordan lot of nothing. Scotty Piffle and all. Yeah. yeah. Well, it turns out that's pretty damn hard to do. Yeah. You know, to not get in the way. And to help out and to, to pull yourself, your own ego back enough that you don't think I got to do something. I got to do something. You know, I got to prove that I'm, you know, Michael Jordan's coach. I'm going to show him how to do this. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's one thing. But um, really the problem for a coach, um, the basic problem I had was well, I don't know. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't tough enough initially. And I thought I, I thought there was something about being mean by pushing people. And I, I didn't understand that it's okay to push them. Right. Um, so you, but, oh, you uh, thought like, like know. being it's like, a tough uh, question. by pushing people was, was a way to, you were being mean, but if you were pushing them to work harder, or yeah, something like that? you know, giving them, giving them real hard workouts and stuff. Right. And, and then my assistant coach, who was a genius, said, no, no, no. He said, just tell them, here's what we're going to do. And when everybody's jaw drops, say, it's your choice. Yep. And let them decide. Yep. And then they do it. Yeah. <laughs> For the, most right. of the time, yeah, they, they do. And I, I mean, I've been in a situation right. where I think I've, over the years, I've gone the opposite direction, right? I, as coming out, you know, I think you, you model uh, the coaches that you've had in the past. Mm -hmm. So for mm -hmm. me, I've had a, like, you know, before yeah. I became a football coach, yeah, you don't know. Right. Right. Yeah. You see what they did. And they were all like hard ass type guys and they were all, you know, make you yeah. do this sort of yeah. thing. So I, that's how I started. And then I read a, yeah. a book called inside out coaching by Joe Ehrman. E -H -E -R. Mm -hmm. And it was like all about like coaching yeah. with like love and, and be like the softer yeah. side of coaching. Right. Like they were, like we we're talking about yeah. social psychology. Yeah. And when I, that kind of brought me into the middle, you know, I wasn't like too easy, but I wasn't like that hard guy anymore. I was kind of in the middle and blended the two a little bit and I've had the best. Uh, and you can do it. Right. You can do it that way. That's the neat part is there are a lot of different ways of being a great coach. There are a lot of different ways. And, and I think like, do it. and being uh, uh, aware of, and having that like social, you know, EQ uh, to yeah. be able to adjust and do that sort of stuff with different athletes and which athlete yeah. needs the, the good yeah. job and which athlete needs like, you know, you got to go a little harder next time. Right. Can I, can I offer one thought? I, I want to go back to your question, Anthony. Yeah. Your original question is what you asked me, what would you tell somebody who's getting into coaching? Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, I think the key is you've got to build the program for the best for, for the best athletes. You've got to design it for people who want to be as good as they can. Okay? And some folks will and some folks won't, but you've got to have a program where in effect there's uh, it, it's set up for people who want to be great. Right. Okay. Don't set it up for lousy people thinking you're going <laughs> to carry them. Right. Well, really, you know, don't, don't target it for people who don't really want to be doing the work or for people who aren't interested in learning and stuff. Don't try not to cater to those people, but cater to the people who I, I, the way I always thought of it is cater to the people who want to be getting better. Like this program is set up, you know, in the way the workouts were designed, my teaching career, I did the same thing exactly, which is, you know, you set it up for the good students. I don't mean the people who get good grades, but the people who want to learn. Right. Right. You set it up so that if you want to learn, this is the place to be. All right. And same, same for, um, for athletes. If you want to get better at this sport, I'm your guy. And if you don't, well, you know, you're going to find yourself kind of hitting the walls and not knowing what to do. And like, well, what am I doing here? Why is this, you know, doesn't feel right or whatever. Right. Um, so, so uh, you want to benefit the best people. Yeah. And that's what Olympic coaches told me is that the, the, the hardest thing in a way is to design the program to benefit the best athletes. And it doesn't mean you let them get away with stuff. It means you're setting it up so that they get the most mileage, you know, they get the most uh, attention, they get the most everything. Uh, and then everybody will want to be that person. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I think that's sure. Yeah, that's you, where the goodies are. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now you said something interesting there. You set it up for good students, not the people who get the best grades, the best students versus the best grades. Yeah, that was me. Right. That was, that was my approach. So what, what, because I wanted, I wanted to work with students who wanted to learn. So, and so people would think like the best students do get the best grades. No, no, no. No, not at all. From your experience, no, I mean, you, there are a lot. Well, there are a lot of ways of getting good grades, for right? Sure. I mean, a big one is having, you know, you went to the right schools and you grew up in the right family and stuff like that. So you're just better at at writing or thinking about academic stuff or whatever. So what would make uh, somebody a, a good student? Students. Like a the, like when you're classified, want to learn. Yeah, and what, like what what are some that's, characteristics of somebody who might want to learn? Like oh, what gosh. would they do? Oh gosh, oh gosh, that's easy. Um, oh okay, I'm I'm down uh, for this. this is well, great. I okay. love this. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> when they ask question, when they ask a question, they listen to the answer. How's that? There you go. And they're not just showing off. You know, they're not just trying to score points. They are listening to the answer. Uh, when uh, I mean, for me, it was I get I get papers. You know, let's say they write papers in class every week, students, and some of them, and I put little comments on the paper. Right? I give advice, and some of them, the next paper comes back. And they took the advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, you're laughing because you're like, oh, yeah, hadn't thought of that one, right? <laughs> no, they come back and the paper, the next paper's better because they actually did it. Okay, that's who I want to work with. Nice. And so those people, in my case, they get a lot more attention. Yeah. You know, that's who I work with. And pretty soon then you've got a density of those people. 
And this, again, the team thing works. You get a density of people who really want to get better, and that's what they're asking for, and that's what they want. Boy, you could take off like a rocket then. Yeah. Because then everybody else is like, what's going on with those guys? <laughs> and then you start, and then you start creating, you know, like I think it's in that book too, the practice Seth Godin talks about, it might be a different, I think it's called, this is marketing yeah. book. And he talks about people yeah. like us do things like this. That's right. Great way to put it. Yeah. So like well, you're trying to the, create this, this is the way we do it. Yeah. This is the way we do this. We're trying to create this culture. And then when you start having these people who that's all want right. to be better and then everyone just starts coming in and then that just that, like you said, it takes off like a rocket. Then it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And you have, yeah. if you want to get better, I'm your guy. I'm, this is your place. This is your that's group. This it. is your. Whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's the key. As you said, creating a culture like that. So the first step, I mean, I remember this when I first started coaching, I, I knew this and I wasn't even very good is the kids who are horsing around. Don't put them together. <laughs> Yeah. Don't put them in the same lane. You know, any third grade teacher can tell you this. Yeah. You want to put together, you want to physically cluster the good people, the people who are doing it right and make them the center of things and the center of attention. And that's where the action is. That's where, you know, those are the people who are excited to be there and getting the payoffs and stuff. And then everybody else will just follow along because we're all basically conformists. Yeah. We want to be a part of the group, right? right? We want to be part of the group. That motivation is pretty widespread. Yeah. And pretty I, widespread. I think there was one thing too that, that we talked about. You talked about relax. Like you're not ultimately responsible for the athlete's career. You, the coach. Yeah. Yeah. That's and right. I think that early on in a lot of ways that coaches are, they put too much onus on themselves, like you said, yeah. and they, they take too much responsibility and they, they, they invest themselves so much into the athlete's success. Yes. That, yes. That if there is something that goes wrong, it's a big yeah. hit for them and yeah. not for the athlete as much. Yeah, no, no, that's a bad idea. I, I had this, um, uh, I had this girl when she, she was a 12 year old and this was early in my career and she was, a really good swimmer. I mean, like a really, we would say a talented swimmer is what most people would say, right? She had beautiful technique and she was tall and strong and everything like that. And I thought this kid could really go places. The only problem is she didn't care. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> she didn't particularly want to go places. And I spent months and months badgering this poor kid, you know, and just getting on her and trying to talk to her. And you could really blah, 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 blah. And I called up an Olympic coach um, and I said, what am I going to do? And there was this pause. And he said, Dan, you want this more than she does. I'm like, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's right. I do. <laughs> you know, it's pretty obvious. And that was when this fellow said this comment I mentioned earlier, he said, you know, he said, there's nothing morally wrong with not wanting to swim. Right. You know, this is a perfectly reasonable 12 year old kid. She happens to have good swimming technique, but she doesn't want to do it. That's okay. She can do a million other things in her life, you know, and be perfectly happy and successful and everything. And I yeah. had to just let it go. And like, stop fussing with this poor girl. You know, you've got kids in the lane next to her who don't look like they're very good swimmers, but they're dying to do it. 
you know, you work with them. And pretty yeah. soon they're going to be good. You know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think that that, that happens yeah. a lot. There's a, there's a, a coach out in the, the Boston area who talks about kids who are like youth, youth 12 athletes who are like top youth 12 athletes. Yeah. And then the, it's like yeah. the, the kids in the middle and there's, you know, the low kids, but the kids in the middle, if they work mm -hmm. really hard, by the time they get 14, 15, they surpass those youth 12 athletes because they start building mm -hmm. all these things that we're talking about. They build that. Yeah you know, that work ethic, they start doing things correctly. Yeah. They start enjoying the process and they start doing all these yeah. different things. And then when it yeah. comes to time to be 18, 19, 20, and they're there, they become the better kids yeah. at the sport. And it's, it, that's right. And it's not the same. Being a great child athlete is not the same as being a great adult athlete, you know, it's, yeah. and there are, there are some carryover, but it's a different thing. No. And, and the coach, you know, I, one of the things I most enjoyed about coaching actually was helping kids develop over that time and, and understand the different kinds of satisfactions you could get from a sport, you know, at yeah. different ages, right. Or saying, well, you know, somebody gets bored doing this kind of event and say, well, let's try a different event. What about that? Have you ever thought about this one? You know, and we move into that for a while and change up what they're doing and how they're doing and so on. I had a kid who once who, um, damaged well okay he he hurt his shoulder he hurt his rotator cuff you know which is a serious problem in swimming and very yeah. common he got to where it was really I, I didn't want him to be permanently injured you know like for life and he was about 16 at the time and i said well what if we spent a season doing nothing that could injure your shoulder doing nothing but very short workouts and most of the time would be spent on technique work, right? Or mm -hmm. on um, doing these kind of short burst things that involve kicking a lot, using the legs a lot more than most people did and so on. And this kid came out at the end of a whole season of doing these really bizarre little workouts yeah. and swam by far his best times ever, including in distance events. Awesome. So, yeah, you know, and there, again, you don't want to, you, it, coaching requires flexibility, you know, and thinking about the big picture and why are we doing this and, and does it really help this athlete and so on? Yeah. It's neat stuff. Very challenging work. I, I love it. Yeah. And I think that's, a, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to use that one uh, it, with my staff and it's okay mm -hmm. if people don't want to go heavier. It's okay. If people right. don't want to do this, it's okay. If people don't, right. It, you know, they're here for different reasons. Everyone comes to the gym for different reasons. Everyone comes to training for different right. reasons. Right. And it's okay. If that, it doesn't align with what your reason for them being here is. Right. Exactly. And I think too, you know, to be sort of cynical about it almost yeah. it, it, once people realize you respect their approach, I think you'll get better work from them anyway. Right. Uh, but I they agree. may quit. They may say, I'm out of here. Thanks very much. You know, and you go great, you know, God bless. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, but that means then that you'll, your remaining people will be that much more committed to what they're doing. Cause they know, Oh, you know, Anthony respects what we're doing. It's, he's yeah. not just, he's not just using us for his own, for his own goals, which a lot of coaches do. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And you know, yeah. like, uh, just the goal, I guess, is to get the right people on the bus. Yeah. And then once they're on the bus, we can, we can do whatever we need to do and, and make it work. Yeah. That's right. Awesome. Yeah. This has been fun, by the way. 
I'm sure we can probably chat for hours Thank and hours yeah. about no, no, my this sort of stuff. And we usually, yeah, cool. you know, we're about an hour and yeah. uh, we're, we're getting there. So if you, do you have any, uh, are you present on social media or any of that kind of stuff or? Oh yeah, I do. I do Twitter a lot. Yeah. Pro- probably too much. <laughs> well, you're retired now, correct? <laughs> I just retired as of just to- officially two days ago, in fact. Oh, well, congratulations. From, congratulations. Yeah, for, 40 years at Hamilton College. 40 yeah, years. Yeah, it was great. It was great. I loved yeah. it. Loved working there. Great. People. And you were there the whole time. The whole I time. was there that I was there for 40 years. Before that, I taught a little bit at um, two other places. So, but Oh, nice. But nice. yeah, yeah. Yeah. For, I mean, that's, it's having a long stint at a, a job wonderful. nowadays is, is not very common. It's rare. It's so rare and it's wonderful. I mean, I had students of former students in my, my classes. Cause Hamilton college actually. is very leg- legacy type of unit college. Yeah. Although actually not the so numbers anymore. aren't all that high. Well, oh, no? people, well, people who, hmm. People who can get in Hamilton can get in a lot of places. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, and so the the kid has to want to go there, and then they have to take my class. You know? <laughs> and if you do the arithmetic, it's the odds are against it. But I had, yeah. I did, I had several students of former students, and I've been able. This is really fortunate. I've got, trying to, I've got students who are on the edge of retirement. People who took my classes in the early '80s you know, yeah. or late seventies actually, who are now almost, you know, and I've seen their entire careers, which is fabulous. Cause you see the impact of your work over a long period, which is really a gift. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't take it for granted at all. I've been incredibly fortunate. And, and sometimes some coaches, you know, would yeah. look at that. And at least if you're a high school coach yeah. and the athletes that you've interacted with might look at their success through that qualitative, like yeah. long-term Absolutely. lens. Absolutely. In yeah. fact, I, I just had a conversation re, uh, recently with a kid who I coached. I stopped coaching him in 1985, I believe. And he's, he's a marvelous fellow. He was, a, he was a great little kid, I must say, but he, you know, <laughs> he's even, he's even better at 55, you know? So uh, nice. Yeah. It's That's very awesome. nice. Great relationships. That's very common. Yeah, that's very common among coaches. I think you know you have long long term relationships with people. Yeah, and some of the athletes that I've worked with um, yeah. for early in my career, um, yeah. that one she was one of them was just at the Olympic trials for a triple jump. Oh no! Yeah, kidding. she yeah she placed awesome. fourth unfortunately, so she doesn't oh, get to go to Tokyo, but oh. she's so close. <laughs> oh my goodness! And I'm you know we're texting and still talking yeah. and having conversations. I'm gonna have her on the podcast in a, in a oh, week or two great. to chat. To, chat about some different things, but she was one of, you know, one of my first kind of experiences wow. coaching track and field. Wow. Um, you know, almost, well, I don't even know what year are we, 20, like 15, 16 years ago. So you yeah. got to ask her, what did you, you ask her, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? Yeah. Yeah. With a long-term perspective like that. That's yeah. great. That's great. Good for you. Wow. Good for yeah, her. So it was, it was yeah. great. Uh-huh. It's great to see it and like see somebody that I have worked with and I've seen and I've seen through the through the early days and through yep. her college years. She went to Princeton and we went to watch yep. her at Princeton. We've done <laughs> you know close with the family. It's great. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's very so, cool. So Twitter, what is what is your Twitter handle? What are you just uh, uh, Dan what is Chambliss? my Twitter? No, it's <laughs> it's uh, I think it's Dan F. Chambliss. Okay. 
but you you know it it shouldn't be hard to find actually. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's yeah. an unusual last name. Yeah. Uh, cool. And I I talk about uh, this stuff, and I talk about higher ed. Uh, those are the two main. Because your subjects. most recent book is what? How college works. It's called How most... College Works. Yeah, and it applies a lot of these ideas too. But it's it's about how. Uh, what colleges do that actually help students, you know, mm. learn stuff. And again, right. as you as you were saying earlier, it's not really about the content. That's not the problem. It's about the way you get people together, how they meet other people, uh, mm -hmm. who you meet in college, you know, who you meet and when you meet them. That's what it really is. Yeah. Who you meet and when you meet them. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. I mean, I think that's huge for any any aspect of life. Yeah. 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 And when you meet people, different aspects, depending on where you are and how open you are to different things that yeah. can help you live your, your, you know, life through you are. Cause I went to Ithaca and, you know, retrospect, yeah, yeah. I'm always yeah. like, Oh, you know, it was a lot of money. I spent a lot of money in my college, but right. I, you know, all the things that happened from that point, like I said, I studied abroad. I did all these different things. I coached, you know, so mm. I would have had a completely different experience. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you meet those people, when you meet them, how you meet them, where you meet them. Cyprus too. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. I got to go to Egypt a little bit. It was good. a good experience. I don't, yeah. I don't think oh, I would have yeah. ever been able to do some of those things on my own. Oh yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So okay, thanks well, again. I hope this is, I hope this has been helpful, Anthony. And yeah, I, I was, I hope luck. you enjoyed the conversation too. Oh, absolutely. It was great fun. A lot of fun. And maybe when we have some more, well, we can, dig deeper in some of these topics in a little bit and maybe we'll have you back in a, in a little while. Uh, that'd be cool. Let's big cheer for the Mohawk Valley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I'd be. So enjoy your retirement and we'll thank we'll chat you very soon. much. Take care. And thanks again for listening to another episode of the prime podcast. As I had mentioned in the pre-roll, we would love some ratings and reviews. And if you have any information that you'd like us to share or topics that we do or talk about, I know on my Instagram, personal Instagram, I've been putting some things out there to get some ideas, maybe a little overrated, underrated topic and some different things there that we would talk about or guests that you would like to see us have on the Prime Podcast. If you have any of that information, please just reach out and we can check us out on Instagram, shoot us a DM, Facebook, all those different social platforms. We are there and present and ready to get it going. Again, thanks again. And we will see you slash talk to you next time. Later. Whoa. Said I'm at my